This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of IT Visionaries, and today we have a special guest. His name is David Raiziport. He's the CTO and Chief Product Officer at a company called Mimecast. According to LinkedIn, Mimecast has over 2,000 employees, so if you haven't heard of it or don't know what it's about, David's here to tell us all about it. David, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Happy to be here. Listen, let's start right there. What is Mimecast and what does it do? Absolutely. So Mimecast is a company that um, actually next year will be celebrating our 20th year. So we've been around for a while. We are one of the leading uh, vendors in the market that provide email and communication collaboration security products. What does that all mean? We actually protect the things that come into your organization and go out of your organization through channels like email, Teams, Slack, and other ways that you communicate and collaborate with everyone. And that's what we do. We protect you. So let's start right there and say, like, what is unique and how do you do it? Because we agree 100%. There's more communication between companies. We at Mission, for example, we have plenty of vendors and we have plenty of partners and customers, and they all are integrated for us via Slack. We communicate each other, obviously, through email as well. So this is not a new thing. It's becoming more prevalent. So how does Mimecast protect us? Because we also have heard, had guests in the past talk about some of the fraud and some of the things that can start happening. Give us an idea of what Mimecast's role is in protecting these communications. Oh, absolutely. As you're aware, email not new. Obviously been around for a long time. I, I think I've actually been on email since the 90s working on those products. Um, it is now the source of well over 90% of any bad thing that happens in an organization. It 90%. generally starts with something well over 90% of bad things that come into the organization. The old days of somebody walking up and putting a USB drive or a floppy, if anybody remembers what that is, into a machine and infecting it, but those days are over. So people reach out and try to get you to do bad things or get bad things in your organization, generally through communication that comes in. And they try to impersonate you. They try to trick you. In some cases, they try to intimidate you to do things. And that can mean sending you to a website where uh, malware can be installed or your credentials can be stolen or trying to get a piece of malware into your organization as an attachment masquerading as an Excel file or a Word file or something that you're familiar with. And generally, that is where bad things come into the organizations. Mimecast has been building cloud-delivered email security protection for 20 years. What does that mean? Well, it's actually not 20-year-old technology. It's 20 years of continued investment in new detection techniques, be it detection techniques to block bad files, be it detection techniques to analyze URLs that are in a message, or the actual website, looking for impersonation techniques on those websites, looking for script or bad things running on the website to protect you, looking at actual content coming in masquerading as somebody else, so impersonation techniques, things that are trying to get you, trip you up, fool you, uh, and get you to do bad things. And that's what we do. We scan everything on the way in. We scan all your inbound communications and lateral communications within your organization. 
We protect things going out so we can make sure that somebody doesn't accidentally attach confidential information and send it out, those data loss prevention scenarios. So all of that happens with Mimecast product. We've been doing it at scale for a long time. We have 42,000 customers that we protect. We're one of the best in the industry based on what everybody else says about us. We're pretty proud of the capabilities that we've built. Yeah, I would say so. And it's also one of those types of services that maybe you could be as a user of. You just don't even know it, right? Absolutely. The best type of security product is one that's invisible to most users. So organizations uh, have these types of protections in place and uh, their users generally don't know about it because all the bad things are blocked. That's what we do. It's one of those things where when we've talked with other security professionals where it's like, you know, security and insurance are very similar, right? Like I always joke, like you don't actually want to be alerted of all the threats and things that it's stopping. You just want it to be stopped. Right. And then, so like no news is like good news, right? Like in your, in, it feels that way as if I'm a consumer of this type of service, right? No news is the best news, right? Like nothing's happened. Absolutely. What's really critical around modern security products is uh, the, the first job is to detect and block things. Uh, but there's additional things because there is no such thing as a 100% guarantee of everything being caught. So the next thing that good security products do is they educate, they inform, they provide clues and hints. We actually have a capability that, for example, looks at your social graph. What does that mean? The people you communicate with on a regular basis or you receive email from or you receive a message from. And when you receive something that is new, you haven't talked to the person, or you look at the sender and you go, wow, that looks like our CEO's email, but it, it's off a little bit, right? Those are those little impersonation texts. We alert you. We say, hey, this no one's ever responded to this email. You might want to think twice about responding to it. So part of this is that continued education of the end user to make sure that they're not a weak part of the system. You know, one of the things that we've read about, and I always like citing this case for those of our audience that like to listen to IT visionaries, I always cite the case of Hush Puppy and how they, uh, Hush Puppy was a internet influencer, Instagram influencer. And it turns out he was running one of those big, I guess, masking or phishing type operations. And we've had a couple of guests talk about like, this is the new fraud that's extremely hard to detect, which is, hey, in the old way, if I was to drop a attachment or some type of script, maybe technology could do that. But what if I actually got in somehow and built like a layer of trust or I infiltrated at the user level so that I actually was or you know took over the email account of someone who's in accounting and I made a request, hey, can we update the, the vendor account number to this? And then the person on the other end is like, oh, I'm none the wiser. Okay. I update the account record. And then before you know it, the deposit is gone to an account and it's pulled out and withdrawn. And if anyone wants to go check it out, look at the story of Hush Puppy. It's crazy, right? The guy was stealing tens of millions of dollars doing this. How is technology evolving to that? Because is like a layer of behavior and pattern matching starting to occur? Because it seems like this is the new way, or maybe it's not a new way. It's an old way of just people are getting even better at like, it's like a con. It is a con and people have become, uh, the bad guys have become sophisticated. And honestly, the same technology that we use to make our jobs easier is also available to them. The bad guys use all the same things. They have ML models around how to fool you. Exactly. <laughs> it is um, some of these things that uh, have become commoditized and they're leveraging it. Things such as 
impersonation techniques have gotten better. You know, I mentioned that, wow, that looks like it's an email from my CEO. But if you look really closely, the email, actual email is off by a letter or something. Business email compromise, that is the, the scenario that you mentioned where somebody actually has gotten their hands on a credential. How did they get it? Did they get their company? No, they probably got your Facebook credential, but you probably use the same password to mm. log into your company as well. They get in. So now it's not just about something being detected on the way in. It's about looking at communication patterns, analyzing the content of the email. What was the intent? What was the sentiment? Were they trying to get you to perform an action that you don't normally do? Were they trying to get you to actually switch to a different communication channel? That's a common technique they use. They will try to get you to go to the thing that's not protected. They know your company email is protected. So they go, hey, why don't you email me from your personal email address? Or why don't you send me a text message? Oh, yeah. Can you call so me? So they try to make these. Absolutely. They try to make these jumps. Yeah. I've, I've gotten one of those where it's like, hey, this is Stephanie. Hey, can you give me a quick call? I'm like, why would Stephanie email me to call her at this new number? Like, that makes no sense. You know, look closer. It's like, what is this? Absolutely. This is where the user education is really important. And making sure that that, is, that stays up to speed is really critical. I'll give you actually a real world example that just happened. We had a new um, chief marketing officer joined. He must have updated his LinkedIn profile. Uh, the day he started, he got a text message from a scammer that said, hi, um, this is Peter, you know, the CEO. Um, I'm in a meeting, so I can't talk right now, but this, can you, can you send me a text message so I know you're there? And it's a scam designed to fool you into thinking that it's something else on a channel that's not necessarily protected, which is your text message. But they're leveraging this information they have about your social network and things that you have done to relate to you and being able to establish that trust the single biggest tool that people are using in order to fool you. So it's like I said, now it's about layering the protection, analyzing content, understanding sentiment, seeing that, hey, they're trying to get you to switch to something and flagging that and then educate the user, educate the user, educate the user about these potential techniques. Yeah, it's funny you keep saying educating the user because it reminds me of more like teams and military where they always talk about, hey, like, you know, you're only as strong as your weakest link kind of concept, which is, hey, if you, you could have the best security in the world, but if you have one user who maybe doesn't have good habits, they can accidentally open the doorway to, to something else. Yeah, and it's a challenge that I don't know if it ever can be solved. So in that regard, you're always going to be busy. Give us an idea of what it takes, what you are investing in, how you build for this future, because everyone we talk to in cyber is saying the same thing, which is the attacks are becoming more sophisticated, more prevalent, and they're also... I guess, more unpredictable, meaning like the bad actors are using new techniques that maybe you're not as familiar with. How do you construct your team to innovate for this future to, to address these things? Because the reality of cyber is your next attack. You might not know what it is yet. Like it doesn't exist. Like you're going to have to be ready for something that doesn't exist. Right. Those day zero type of attacks. Yeah, absolutely. It's a combination of things, right? So as I mentioned, every security company, and we're certainly one of them, continues to invest in new detection capabilities, smarter detection capabilities. Now it's not just looking at an IP reputation or looking at authentication methods with your servers or looking at, at malware. Now it's about understanding sentiment, 
looking at what they're trying to do in terms of intent, machine learning models that continue to learn on their own the more samples they see, building feedback loops in the products so that see something, say something, uh, that, that that thing is now a critical aspect of security of tell me a little bit about something that you think is suspicious and then having the technology on the back end that can take that and learn from it. So reduce those false positives and continue to get more crisp and more accurate at those fuzzy detections. That's what companies like us are investing in is tightening that feedback loop, building better ML learning models that can continue to evolve and continue to get better and then improving our user education techniques. The traditional models, uh, and one that just about everybody has today is, you know, they'll, they'll try to run a campaign where they'll try to get users to click on something to, to see if they can fool them, or they'll make them watch a video. Those are useful. But what we really need to do is understand risky user behavior and then tailor the training to, to help change the user behavior, not just make them go through stuff at the end of every month. That doesn't change behavior. So do it just in time. Do it at the moment that somebody is making a mistake and help educate. Forget train the user. Let's just talk about educating the user so they can help us. It's all of us against the bad guys. So build a system that allows all of us to go against the bad guys. This idea that you're going to train as the problems occur is exactly something that I've seen firsthand many, many times in my previous career doing software consulting, which is people inherently, when you try to teach them something, they're not going to directly apply. They won't learn it. And kind of like what you're saying there, right? If you have an end of quarter training session, like a WBT, I'm telling you right now, your employees are just doing this. There's clicking, you know, whatever the skip button or move ahead button is, or they're like on their phone, they're not really watching it. This is the truth about all things, which is unless you're going to directly apply what you are now learning, you probably won't do it. So it's like watching a video on playing guitar, but not picking up guitar. You're not going to learn how to play guitar. It just doesn't work. So this is what I'm envisioning. And you, you probably need to correct me. Let's say, for example, I'm just forwarding emails. Are you talking about like a future where it might be like, hey, you forward a lot of emails. Did you know that you've just forwarded you know, X, Y, and Z and then you should probably stop? Like, I don't know, like almost like a prompt. Like, like I'm thinking of like Clippy from Microsoft, like talking to me. <laughs> That's absolutely where we need to get to, right? Correct the behavior at the time that it happens. So I'll, I'll give you a few examples, right? Understanding user behavior is first understanding whether somebody is the target of bad things coming in, right? So when you build security products, those security products actually have to learn about the things they block to, especially a product like ours. You're going to get thousands and thousands and thousands of emails on a monthly basis. Uh, hopefully, we blocked all the bad things, but we should learn from that. We should understand that you, Albert, are actually a target for people trying to get you to do stuff, right? So first, we need to be able to understand risk associated with who you are because that will help us actually identify policies that we can set in place and things that we can do to even prevent more bad things from happening. The second part is looking at the things that you do. Like you, you, uh, you mentioned, you, know, you, you forward a bunch of emails. I call them Mr. or Mrs. Click Happy, or <laughs> you know, the, the person that loves attachments, wants to see everything that's in an attachment. Got to open the attachment. Correct. So you have to be able to monitor that activity, especially on a piece of email, for example, that we knew had a malicious link. 
And we need to understand, do you click on those malicious links, right? And if you do, capture that behavior. But we also need to build security products like what we do is we actually have open platforms so we can get information from other products. Many organizations have web gateways and they will block things like you can't go to this type of site or you can't go to that type of malicious place. Well, that happens outside of email, but we need to still learn from it. So we need to build API integrations that take that behavior and associate it with the user. And if we do, then at the time that you click on an email, we can inspect it, time of click inspection. And at that point in time, we can say, Albert, you clicked on this and it looked dangerous. And let us show you why it was dangerous. Telling you it was dangerous isn't enough. Let us actually use it as a teaching moment to say, look, it didn't have an S next to HTTP. So you went to a site that wasn't secure. They were asking for your credentials. That should be a red flag. You should you know, look out for this and then continue to educate, inform, I'll say guide the user into altering behavior over time and then continue to assess that risk for that individual. So you can put controls in place because we will do our best to guide and hopefully the individual will do their best to learn, but nothing is perfect. <laughs> so for those that are still learning, we want to put additional controls in place to protect the organization. You know, we had a previous guest come onto the show and they were talking about how like they saw a future where email might be only hosted in VMs, in virtual machines, so that if you did by chance click on a bad actor's email. Like it would only take place in a virtual environment and it would have not act it would not have access to let's let's say key information points inside of a company's network. But that doesn't stop impersonation because impersonation can still get you to do things offline that are incorrect. But do you see a place where like is that is that like in our future where we're just like spinning up VMs all the time for each communication layer so that there's no attachments? That's one question. And I have another question which is about one of the things that I was someone tried to scam me on, and I just remember like, wow, this is really crafty, is so one of our clients got compromised. And so they sent me like, hey, is this the new updated proposal? And it was like a OneDrive link. And they'd always sent me OneDrive links. But there was something off about it because like, I wasn't expecting a proposal for them. So I was like, what is this? Right? And so then I asked like, hey, did you send me a proposal? It's like, no. Like okay, I don't understand. Like, how did they do that? Like, it's it, and I'm pretty sure if I'd opened that OneDrive profile, that was like proposal. You know what I mean? I would have been like, right, right, right. Something would have downloaded on my machine. I don't know. So I'd love to have uh, two questions, like VMs and also these cloud-hosted repositories, which are generally accepted as good. But it feels like you could start loading if you get compromised. You could start loading like you know malicious software there, and people are downloading it right from cloud because it's going to feel like you know it's going to feel like an official doc, like what's meant to be sent to you. I don't know. It's two unique scenarios. I'd love to ask about them. Yeah. So parts of that future are being implemented by companies today. We have some of those capabilities. For example, when you click on a link that takes you somewhere, we actually have the capability to load that website in a virtual browser, right? So browser isolation. So we load it. We don't just look at the, the, the metadata that comes back from the page. We actually load the page. We inspect the page. We make sure that there isn't script running. We make sure there isn't a redirect that then takes you to what looked like a good site to a bad site. We do all of those things in a browser, an isolated browser session so that we protect you. And then if it's safe, we, we allow you to go through and take a look at it. So parts of that are being built and modern operating systems have gotten better and better and better 
about isolating processes so that you don't have access to other critical parts of the operating system or information that's stored. So that future is actually coming faster than we realize of providing better isolation techniques to help protect customers. And then the second part, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. One of the reasons we expanded really the things that we do and the things that we protect from email to this entire world of collaboration and communication tools, which includes things like SharePoint and OneDrive and Google Drive and Dropbox and all of these things, is because they've really become ubiquitous part of the way we interact with one another. And this horrible thing that happened a couple of years ago called COVID, which forced everybody to go home, actually even accelerated that. Now, all of a sudden, you can't go into a room to talk about something. So you put it in a common repository like OneDrive and share it out so that online collaboration, digital collaboration tools have now become a target for malicious attacks, ways to get you to click on something that looks familiar. Oh yeah, I use OneDrive. That must be okay. Yeah. Oh, that, that, that must be the proposal. I should click on it. So those have now become an integral part of the attack surface. And why when we think of things like email security, it's not just about email. It's actually communication and collaboration security. I totally see where that's going because like you said, these collaboration tools are getting to the point where like, you know, you're leaving comments, you're like the work is literally happening inside these new tools. And so for a company like Mimecast, like, so I'm trying to picture this, like, so if I am one of your clients and I have it installed on my systems, but I have to collaborate with my partners and vendors and they have their systems, how do you protect me? when you're not installed on their system or like the third party system, like, you know, like let's use uh, a shared repository. How does that work? Because that's pretty crazy. Is is it all going to be done through VMs? Like it, I mean, you don't have to give away secrets, but this is pretty cool. (laughs) No, I mean, no, I I I wish there was a secret to give away there because honestly, I think we should actually be open about things that we're doing to protect people. Yeah. At the end of the day, you can't provide protection for everybody through the things that you have. Yeah. So for any organization, my primary role as, as an employee at Mimecast is to protect Mimecast, right? If I wasn't an email security company, I, I got to protect Mimecast. So for us, what we look at is what are the connections that we have inside and outside the organizations? Who are the vendors, the contractors, the partners that we do business with regularly? And ensure that we have trusted means of communication with them, and then we have controls in place, right? We inspect things that are coming in, even if we're if it's from a trusted source. Never assume that just because you have an, uh, a trusted communication channel with a partner that they haven't been compromised. So we always inspect, always inspect, always inspect, but it's that world of, you know, trust but verify. So there's no such thing as uh, it. it's someone I know. Got to inspect it anyway, and that's what we do. So it would be wonderful if there was this one thing that ruled them all and everybody had the same common protection. But with our product, just like anybody else's, we ensure everything coming in, everything going out, everything moving laterally within the organization. And that's really the best that we can do. You know, one of the things I also wanted to ask you about, and, and this is a, it's a unique time for a lot of us because you know the market and the economy has been on a bit of a bull run since, let's say, 2008, right? It, the housing crisis fell, everything's been going great. And now things are changing where the economic outlook for a lot of companies is a little bit cloudier, murkier. They're making different decisions now. 
when you think about what's happening, where do you see in like your opinion in the market of cybersecurity? Are people like, because if you're going to make cuts, like are people making cuts in this arena or are they still investing in better technologies? Because it feels like if I were to think about myself operating a small business, like I feel more vulnerable right now. You know what I mean? So I don't know if I would cut cybersecurity because of course that's like not having it could be catastrophic for me on the downside. But at the same time, I've got to be judicious with where I'm making my investments too. So I don't know like how you're seeing this play out across markets, across customers, potential customers. Are are they is cybersecurity? It's like one of those things where they're paying less attention to, they're going to pay more attention to, they're looking for more, or is it like anything else? You're just looking for more efficient products and services based on budgets. Give us an idea of what you're seeing in regards to cybersecurity investment, let's say in the next two, three years. Oh, absolutely. Uh, anytime where you see some sort of economic disruption, historically, if you go back and trace it, that's actually periods of time where malicious activity is actually ramped up. Just because the economy is is not what you want it to be doesn't mean the bad guys take a break, right? They don't have layoffs. No, they don't have. Yeah, take they a don't break. have layoffs. The bad guys <laughs> don't seem to have layoffs. It really comes down to organizations understanding what are the risky parts of their infrastructure, and ensuring that they have high efficiency, high efficacy. Uh, figure out where you can consolidate products where you can actually buy things that work better together, where you can reduce manual work, which tends to be the expensive part of some of the things they do, the people part of it. So what they do is they try to consolidate, they look at more efficient products. And obviously, there there is always market pressure on pricing at times when people are trying to be tight with budget. But what we found is our customers that are really focused on risk don't turn their back to cybersecurity investments. Uh, they they may focus it, but they don't turn their back to it. That's that's at the worst time really to do that. That's when the bad guys are really active. So we we haven't seen a um, you know customers all of a sudden deciding well you know in order to control my cost the first thing I'm going to cut is security. That we haven't seen and it really hasn't happened for a very long time. They just do then really focus and double down on. What are you doing better so that maybe I don't need three products to protect me? Maybe the two products that I can spend give me the same protection, give me the same coverage, and reduce my risk the same so I can consolidate and I can really get the most for my money. And that's where we continue to see people ask for better efficacy. And it's great because that that drives us, right? Uh, Be better, be more efficient, uh, do more protect more, have better integrations. Uh, and that's what we do. No, that makes total sense. And that was a great point, by the way, of when times are tough, it's possible that criminal activity could rise. And like, I mean, it makes total sense. Like I think about for my, I've always joked with my kids and myself, it's like, would I let my kids go hungry? Probably not. You know what I mean? Like most people are going to possibly do things maybe they wouldn't do otherwise. And so hopefully we don't get that. It doesn't get that bad, but it's one of those things where I think you know, like I said, there's an unclear future right now for us in the next two to three years. Of course, we've seen a lot of different things happen in the news recently. So it's always interesting to see how companies and businesses are reacting. For yourself, one of the things that I, I want to ask you as a you know cybersecurity leader, and we've had guests on previously, we had people from the World Economic Forum talk about there's a huge cybersecurity skills gap. And this is, the, no, everyone says this is true, 100%, meaning there's a huge demand and there's only so much supply of skilled labor uh, workforce to enter this field. Are you seeing 
this gap closing now because like now that you're talking about you know there's possibly like roll shifts going on right now uh because this field this field seems like it's never going to stop which just doesn't it doesn't ever seem like there's never going to stop where you're going to have like oh we have an overabundance of workers like that's not going to happen like you know what i mean because like you just said the bad guys are always trying to figure out new ways which means you have to innovate and create new ways to stop the bad guys so there's never ending demand for the workforce are you seeing more people entering this field and how do you recruit these people if, and this is true, we know it's true, there's not enough of them, right? There's not enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. Uh, demand is not slowing down. Um, there are more people entering uh, the market, um, but it's still not keeping up with demand, mostly because um, customers and organizations are uh, becoming more aware of things they need to protect and the risks. So as that supply increases because it's a hot market and people are trying to get into it and get training, get get enter the market, the demand is even going up faster. Ultimately, the reason the, the managed services aspect of the market has been growing so well is because organizations look to supplement, right? So they take uh, parts of things that they can get others to help them with, be it uh, whether it's a, a MSSP or, or an MDR vendor, or we actually run uh, a, a, an MSOC for organizations where we, we handle and provide them the personnel, the expertise, and the software to assist them. And this is what helps continue to close that gap between supply and demand by really leveraging the pooled expertise that exists in companies such as ours to supplement your own. And for us, we look for talent, as so do a lot of other people, and that, that was your point about the, the demand for it. We bring passionate, uh, smart, technical people into the organization and, and also help train them ourselves. And we build tools to help them get up to speed and learn, and that's how we bring more people into this market and and train people as well. So, you know, there there isn't a security gene. It's about training, it's about education, and it's uh, about hands-on practice. And we do that with folks that we bring on board ourselves as well. And then for yourself, how did you personally get into this field? We can see some of your background and. You, you know, you worked at RSA, so we, we know the security is in your background, but like, were you always interested in security? Were you interested in other different things? And we see that you worked at Microsoft for quite a while working on, it looks like a ton of different products, email being one of them. So it makes sense for you and Mimecast. Give us an idea about your background and how'd you get into security specifically? So I'm an engineer. I, I love solving things. Uh, and, and being an engineer, I probably suffer from what most other engineers suffer from. It's like ADD, right? So I, I got to have a new problem to solve. It's got to be interesting. It's got to be challenging. It's got to be exciting. I actually got into security later on in my career. Uh, I've been doing this for 35 years. And about a dozen years ago, uh, I, I entered the security space. And it was when uh, you know I was looking at things that I was working on at the time. The mobile industry was was crazy hot at the time. Building mobile services, location-based services, and all of these things. And I actually got bored. I wanted the next challenge to go solve. And uh, boy, security is a place you will never get bored um, because there's an adversary involved that never slows down. So I got into security out of the, just the rush of this is an interesting challenge to go solve. And then I got hooked when I realized it's more than the technical challenge. People that stick around in security, it's a mission. 
we have to help protect civilization from the bad guys. So it now has become a mission for me to try to build the best product I can for to protect our customers. Yeah, I like how you frame it up. It's like the the, the consequence, or consequence, or the consequential or gravity of the uh, of the alternative can get you fired up. It's like yeah, that's right. we got to stop this. <laughs> that and that's the thing. So once you're in, boy, you get hooked, um, and 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 you want to do more. You want to do more. It's a mission. There you go. Well, David, it was awesome having you on our show and sharing a little bit about your background and all the things that are happening at Mimecast. And this is one of those things that this is one of those industries, excuse me, that affects everybody. I mean, it literally affects everybody because everyone's online in some way, right? And like, you can become victim to any type of fraud, online frauds, and you need your company. Like, I was thinking about this too. Like, you need your companies also to protect, like, meaning, like, if I'm a just general cu- customer, like, I need to know that all my communications with Bank of America, and I'm just naming Bank of America because they're my bank, like, are secure. And I need to know that that person on the other side who I'm working with, my customer service agent, you know, how you have to share some information is not, is actually them. And then it's not being taken because that's how things get compromised. When I think about these things and just how hard, I like reading crime books. And when I think about how, like, how many like frauds exist and when you it's like always when you read a crime book and you hear how a fraud unfolded it's like man like would you have seen that coming i always ask myself that question i don't know that i would and so that's cool that people like yourself are trying to constantly figure out how are these people trying to fraud my customers through communications because uh like you said it's it's never going to stop yeah it's it's a collective that's why i said look we 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 shouldn't keep things secret for folks that are in the cybersecurity industry, we have to help each other. We have to build products that are open. We have to build products that are integrated. We have to keep sharing information. We have to share techniques on how to get better. And it's a bit of a team sport, right? So you got to love to learn. Keep reading, keep learning, uh, keep applying what you learned, uh, keep listening, keep working with other members of this industry. There's some insanely smart people in this industry that are trying to do good. And uh, it's fun to be in it and learn from them. So that's what I do every day. I try to learn from others uh, and then take that and apply it to how we protect our customers. Absolutely. Well, listen, David, it was great having you on the show. But before you go, it is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. David, this is where we ask you questions outside of the realm of work so our audience can get to know you a little better. You ready? Sure. Go ahead. Fire away. All right. You said you're an engineer and you just love building. Do you build things on your own, like outside of work? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I work a lot, so there isn't a lot of time, but I actually like doing little nerdy things. Like I, like my wife and I build Lego models and things like that, huge castles and other things. And it's fun and you let off steam. So yeah, we, we like to do that type of stuff. Okay. How many, how big is a big castle? How many pieces or hours, maybe Uh, hours to completion? 8,000 pieces or so. And how many hours does that take you? Oh, uh, it, it takes a lot of hours. <laughs> uh, it takes a lot of hours. So it's a good way to blow off steam when you're just sitting around doing nothing. It's so thousands of pieces. There you go. You live in, or it looks like on LinkedIn, you're located in Orlando or Windermere. Is that right? I do. I live in Florida. Yes, absolutely. I used to live there myself. I used to actually, my first job was I taught high school at West Orange High School, uh, which is- uh, Oh, wow. Yeah, it intersects Small with Windermere. World. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, cool area. What's your favorite part about living in Orlando? 
I spent uh, most of my life in cold parts of the country. I saw uh, so <laughs> I love the sunshine. I love the sunshine. Love being able to go out and put the top down on the car and just enjoying the fresh air. <laughs> Absolutely. For yourself, you know, you're in cybersecurity. You know, I got to ask, have you ever fallen victim to a phishing scam or something like that? Um, God, now I'm going to jinx myself if I answer this. Um, not that I know of. <laughs> so far, me neither. I, someone told me once, like, it's actually good if you uh, distrust everybody. So I'm that way now. I mean, I've gotten so many forwards from my mom. I have no clue. Because my, you know, my mom is from, my mom's from Taiwan. And I'm telling you, man, like, in that culture, like, they forward everything. And so I would get always forwards from Asia. And I'm like, I don't know what this is, mom. I have no clue what this is. I don't know what, I don't know, I can't trust you. So I just adopted like a no trust philosophy. No, I, I, that's, <laughs> that's why I said, you know, uh, not that I know of. I, I get regular alerts that says, you know, some, some place that I have credentials on is hacked. So I'm one of those people that's constantly rotating passwords and creating new passwords, but, but not that I know of. Uh, and I hope that I pay attention because I'm like you. I will inspect everything. Naturally distrustful. It's a good way to be, <laughs> especially online. <laughs> well, David, it was great having you on the show. Thanks for sharing a little bit about your background. Thanks for sharing a little bit about what Mimecast is up to. It's been awesome having you, man. And uh, look, if anyone's interested, Mimecast, that's M-I-M-E-C-A-S-T dot com. The links are in the show notes. Go check them out if you're looking for a solution to protect your email or just protect your work, protect your communications, protect your work. Give David a shout. Thanks very much for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure. Awesome.